0: Let me pray real quick. Father, we thank you for today. Oh, we love your son, Jesus. We thank you for everything that he accomplished on the cross, God. We thank you that we have yet another opportunity to live life, to take breath, that you've given us an opportunity to come and worship you, God. The reason we were put on this earth was for you, was for relationship with you. Help us to soften our hearts today, to put all of our worldly agendas aside, and to listen to your word and what it has for us, God. May it change the people in these seats and may it change my own heart, God. You are capable to do significantly more than we ever dared to imagine, Lord. And we love you, all God's people said. I'm gonna, real quick, let me read the word of God. Today we're gonna be talking from Acts chapter two, verse 42, and it says this. And they devoted themselves to the the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You guys may be seated. So, if you don't know, my name is Josiah Lawrence, and I'm one of the pastors here. Um, if we've been going through our Rock Church distinctives, and the reason we did that is we know we're about to go into a new building. That brings about a little excitement. For the first time in six or seven years, we're not going to be setting up in a CrossFit gym. Can I get an amen for that, huh? Now, but here's the thing. I, when I was preparing for like what we're going to talk about, what we're going to preach on, I, I don't want us to go in there. What's, what happens so often is people get a building, and a building becomes a bigger deal than it should. We have a message that offers real hope to people. So when I say distinctives, what I'm not doing is what, and Dad emphasized this last week extremely well, I'm not saying, oh, look at us, we're better than every other church. But I believe, like Dad said, God has given each church unique giftings. Right? Now there are some beliefs that I think that are wrong and churches don't hear, hear me, but I wanted to talk about what's distinct about our church and what's the message that we have to offer people into the community that we're about to go into. I love the fact, listen, we were, we were going to build, if you don't know, a church right down here, about a mile. What I didn't love about that church, and anyone that's on staff or been have known me for a while talking about this, I didn't love that it wasn't in a neighborhood. Because I've always been pumped about putting a church in a neighborhood and affecting that neighborhood directly. The surrounding area. And we happen to be going into a neighborhood that is not all great. And I love that. It's really easy to go put a church in Bettendorf in the nicest area, get a bunch of money and do church that way. There's too much of that in our country. We need to go affect the bad part of town, right? The place that no one else wants to go. I have a feeling that's where Jesus may have hung out. Anyone agree with that? Yeah. So today we're going to talk about this, we're going to talk about family the distinctive of a family. The first thing we talked about was number one, the Rock Church is founded on the Word of God. It is supreme. We are reformed in the sense that we believe in the doctrine of sola scriptura. It is the ultimate authority. No man, no person, nothing, not history, nothing has authority over his Word. That was week one. Week two was gospel-centered. Everything We want our believers to live kingdom-centered lives. Everything we do is centered on the, around, in and around the gospel. In and around. What areas of my life need to change to be more shaped like Jesus Christ? Where do I need to repent? What am I doing that is not how Jesus called me to live that I need to say, hey, that's wrong and turn from it? That's living a gospel-centered life. And then last week was charismatic. We are a charismatic church. You know why we're a charismatic church? Because this tells us to be a charismatic church, to pursue the gifts of the charismata, to pursue the gifts. Charismatic often means emotion. Listen, to be in a loving relationship with our creator, if it sparks no emotion in you, there's a disconnect. That's why if you come to our church and you see hands raised, that's what we want. If you don't have your hands raised, I'm working on getting you there. You guys are supposed to laugh there. So here's a vision I have. I have a vision now today, this week, sorry. This week is family. No God. Our mission statement is No God, find family, live kingdom-centered lives, be on mission together. Find family. I believe a gospel-centered community looks a lot different than most communities in the world. And I'm going to get into exactly why. So I have a vision of a community of saints that worship God as they were called to worship God. It is filled with families and children. It is filled with people from all different backgrounds, races, cultures, and incomes. It is joyful, it is real, it is vulnerable. When one person hurts, they all hurt. When one person rejoices, everyone rejoices. There is power in this family. Their prayers are heard by God because their prayers align with their God. The world looks in and they can't believe what they are seeing. People who maybe don't think exactly the same still love each other deeply. People that used to not like each other are now like family. It is a representation of the person of Jesus. The body of people radiates joy, wisdom, healing, all acting with different gifts received by God. They forgive each other, they carry each other's burdens, they commit to each other. It's beautiful. Does anyone like that vision? Cool, now bring the bad news. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this The person who loves their, their dream of community will destroy community but the person who loves those around them will create community. All of us love the idea of this community, but I see so often in our church, in our kingdom communities, with people that come here on Sundays, they love the idea, but what they don't do well yet, and this is me as well, what we don't do super well yet is love people. Now we're getting better. Hear me. I'll get more into that later. So, Listen, I met with a person this week. I met with a person that has come to church for a while, um, and there, there's, they said there's a disconnect. They love the sermons, they get stuff from the sermons, everything else, but they're not connected to the family. That is a problem. America is built on consumer Christianity. Our church is against consumer Christianity. Here's what I mean. This church is not about you coming to get stuff all the time. It's not about you coming and sitting in the seats and let me hear a good message and oh, I didn't like that one. You know what that creates? That creates Christians that stay at home, stay isolated, and listen to their favorite pastors on YouTube. That is not at all what the church is called to do. That is not at all what Christ has called you to do. He's called you. Listen, Christianity is not meant to be done in a vacuum. It's meant to be done in community, with people, in intimate relationship. And some of us in this room hate that. And I'm asking you to acknowledge that. I'm asking you to acknowledge the fact that that is sinful. So, I would like to go over four things that mark a church family. When I say family, I want you to realize I'm really the church family. Four things I think that are crucial in the vision we have and how we want to walk as believers. Did you put it up there already? (laughs) Four things come on, guy. Like I was doing the big reveal, and they're already up. (laughs) Gee, many Christmas. All right, four things a biblical family does are this. Number one, a family commits. Number two, a family unites. Number three, a family is real. And number four, a family forgives. So the first one I want to start with is is this, family commits. This is not an exhaustive list by any means, but when I was praying and spending time over this sermon, this is what God gave me. The first one is family commits, and the scripture says this, Acts 2.42, which we just read, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. They committed to the fellowship, and fellowship... I talked about this a couple months ago. Fellowship means the participation. The participation in the church. I have some good news and some bad news. The bad news is that many in this room are not devoted to fellowship. You may be devoted to coming on Sunday mornings, but because of the other things you have made a priority in your life, you are not committed to the fellowship or participation. A family commits. Family doesn't leave its family members to do the work of living for Christ. They show up and they do their part because that's what loving people do. If you want to be with Christ and you want to commune with him as you're called, it takes laying your life down. Listen, do you understand that your soul, the very deepest part of you, whether you realize it yet or not, you have an infinite size hole in your heart. You're trying to fulfill it with everything else in the world all the time. One of the ways we fill that hole is with what? Jesus. I shouldn't have said one of the ways. The only way you fill that hole in your heart is with Jesus. Now, practically, what that looks like, where's Jesus at? In us. You do the Christian life in community. In community is where the presence of God lies. But when I'm a sinful person, right, right, and I'm in my own selfish ways, I have my own agendas and my own life. I don't enjoy people like I'm supposed to because I'm sinful. That's the bad news. Now here's the good news. The good news is that this has been a problem since the beginning of time. Hebrews says, and let us consider how to stir one each other up or one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So in the book of Hebrews, we have this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Guys, hallelujah, this has been a problem since the New Testament church. They were neglecting to meet together even then. Now, when I say that, I don't just mean Sunday mornings. Our kingdom communities is what we call our small groups. That is not a, hey, we really wish you would come. It's like, no, that is a fruit of being a Christian. You're committing to fellowship. You're committing to letting people know the intimate parts of you, to know when you're struggling with something, to know when you're rejoicing about something. That is what a church family looks like. And sometimes I often wrestle as a pastor, I often wrestle, are we being hard enough with people on that? You know, I have had people leave the church in the last six months, I'll be completely honest, because they said we were too pushy about getting them in membership and too pushy about getting them church family. guys. You signing a covenant and becoming a member doesn't do anything for me. I do that, or we do that as leadership, because we want you in family. That's how we get your heart changes. You get in community, and you start having people that are close to you that know your way, saying, hey, I see this in your life, and it's not right. I see this sin in your life, and it's going to kill you. You're going down a road of destruction, there is safeguards. There is love. There is his presence in community. Is anyone in here think they don't have blind spots in their life? Every single one of us have blind spots in our life, and we need people that look into our lives and love us enough to say something about it. So continue, consider how to stir one another up. I'd like to ask this. When is the last time some of you in these seats did the stirring up? When did you encourage someone that was staying home and neglecting to meet to buck up and go love community? Some of us in this room have been here for too long and know too much to not put into practice in what God has called you to. I need you. The congregation needs you. Your family needs you. Family commits. When we put on our mission, find family, we are looking for this type of family. When you become a member of Rock Church, you are signing a covenant with us and with God that you are going to do your part as one of the body members of Christ in fulfilling what he's called you to. It's what being a Christian is. There's probably not a person in this room who didn't love the sound of the vision of community that I opened with. But remember what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in his book, Life Together. The person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. Family unites. So that was the first one, family commits. Now, the second one of what a family does is a family unites. Acts 2.42 says this, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. First Thessalonians 2a says, so being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. A biblical family and a rock church family unites on the gospel message. Guys, it is the message of Jesus in the gospel that when each one of us gets in a room, that's the thing that we have in common. That's what makes a biblical family so unique compared to the rest of the world. I can have absolutely nothing in common with you, but also have the biggest thing in common with you. And so when we get together as community, it's fun, it's exciting. What's God talking to you about? What's God talking to me about? What's he changing in your life? Show me some experiences that you've You've had. It's this thing in the center of all of us that is bigger than anything else in the world. And it creates a very unique community. Who's experienced it at this church? That is what we're after. Family unites on the gospel me- message. It's such a beautiful picture that Paul paints in First Thessalonians when he says, we are ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves. Our own selves, because you had become so very dear to us. There's something special about when the gospel has gripped you. When I say the gospel, what I mean is the fact that you are a miserable sinner significantly more evil than we could ever dare to believe, but yet infinitely loved more than you'll ever know. That Christ had to come and die, the God of this universe had to die because your sin was that severe. When that grips you and you realize the love of Jesus, it draws you to community like you don't understand. When you see other people that believe the same thing, there's an excitement there. My question for you is, is there that excitement there? Is there that excitement inside of you that you're excited to be around other believers? Or is the gospel not gripping you? Listen, I'm not here to scare you, but I do love you as a pastor. And what I have to say is if that isn't inside of you, you have something you need to work out. It says work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. Do not ever ride or die on the thing just saying, oh yeah, I'm good with Jesus, I'm all solid. That is a self-righteous statement. A Christian knows, no, God, I need you. I see the sin in my life, I get with him and I'm like, I have to abide in you because in myself I'm evil. People that are on fire for God are on fire for people. The reality is that many of us sitting in the seats here today are not on fire for people. You don't want to be around community, you much rather sit by yourself and not lay your life down for others. What controls your thoughts instead are worldly and fleshly. Things like money, jobs, vanity, sex, fun, comfort. These are the things that ultimately drive so many of us. But what we see in Jesus is something different. We see one who so often inconvenienced himself for those in need. The one who put his arms around lepers and the sick. The one who ate and drank with people that no one else would. He was a friend of sinners and outcasts. You know who didn't see him hanging out with much? The ones who thought they were all good without him. And I hate to say this, but that's still the case for so many people. For those who don't see themselves as sinners, don't spend a whole lot of time with him because they don't see much need for him. When the Holy Spirit grips you, when God grips you, your sin drives you into a deeper relationship because you know that's where your only hope and freedom lie. Family unites on this. I believe, and I see a future at Rock Church of people who are all keenly aware of their own sin and the unmerited grace of Jesus Christ. Listen, I want to understand, I know I'm talking a lot about sinfulness, but we, God offers unmerited grace. The only thing he asks of you is this, to acknowledge it and to believe it. That's it. It's unmerited. You will never earn God's love for you. He loves you just as you are. He loves you in your dirty, filthy mess just where you are. Your only job is to admit it to him. Your only job is to say, you're right, God, I see it, and I need you. The only way I'm ever going to be good is by you working through me. I will never be good enough for you. That's the gospel. Super quiet here today. All right. The third thing, family is real. Family is real. 2 Corinthians 12, 9-10 says, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak then I am strong. Family is real. A gospel community, a gospel family is not afraid to admit weakness because we know that in our confession and in our repentance is where the strength of Christ is found. In James it says, confess your sins to one another so that you will be healed. This is contrary to the world. In a world where everyone is scared to live their real lives for fear of what people will think, we have thousands who have never felt real connection with anyone. They sit alone, isolated in their own sin and guilt, their, fe- their own fear and anxieties, riddled with worry, yet their hearts are hardened and still so many are unable to accept Christ because they, don't, they say they don't need him. Why do you think so many find Christ at the end of the rope? When all comforts are stripped away and you have no- nothing left, there he is with his arms stretched out. Guys, the gospel community is real. So many people, and listen, I don't know if you guys have ever acknowledged this. Does anyone have those friends where you just talk about, like, small talk? Like, how's the weather? Like, one thing that you get kind of addicted to in a gospel community, at least for me, is I love relationships that are real, that are authentic. When I meet someone, like, cool, tell me where you work and stuff, that's fine. But how are you feeling? If you know me, you know I'll eventually do this. I'm going to start poking. Because I want to know how people really are. Are you around people and you're happy and joyful, but then you go home and you're riddled with anxiety? Are you riddled with worry? A gospel community, guys, is real. You get to share that burden with people. And in sharing that burden, there's a freedom in the gospel. They can pray with you. And I've seen people get so much better in their lives. I've seen people getting off um, anxiety medication, getting off depression medication, because they're they're, they're able to be authentic. Authentic. I want that so bad, and you guys know that I push that so hard because I'm tired of fake, hypocritical Christians. You know a hypocritical Christian, you know what they are? They're the people that don't understand the gospel, that don't understand their own sin, that think that because they're signed up as a Christian, they're better than the outside world. What's that famous quote? The church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. It's a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. I'm a Christian because I acknowledged I am as bad or worse than most of the people I know on outside the church. That I have to have Jesus for my righteousness because I will never be righteous enough. So what it does is it creates a community, guys, where we can be authentic. I'm asking you right now, do you not have any of that in your life? Do you have deep down burdens and sins and things that you're wrestling with that you've told no one about? You don't have to live that way. God has more from you. There is freedom in confession. In James, it says there's healing in confession. And when he says confess your sins, guys, anxiety is a sin. Anytime you miss the mark that God has on your life and step outside of what he has called you to, it's a sin. People have this small-minded view of sin that it's like only killing, lying, stealing, or disobeying my mom and dad. It's significantly more than that. When you don't walk exactly how Jesus walked, you're sinning. We do it all the time. All of us are dealing with things that we need to talk to people about because there's freedom there. Christ offers you unmerited grace, unmerited forgiveness. But are you willing to recognize it in yourself? We as the church should be the safest place for people to tell of all their struggles. We should be the ones people are running to when they mess up because we have something that only the Christian faith offers, real forgiveness, real grace, untonement, unmerited grace. There is no other religion of the, in the world. You'll hear of things of forgiveness. You'll hear of stuff in other religions. But what, what you won't hear is unmerited grace and forgiveness with God. It's not based on what you've done. It's not based on what you will do, any merit of your own. It's completely free. Listen, I lived in a church. If you guys know my background, I've been in the church community, the church world for a long time. I've been in a lot of different churches. When I came on staff years ago, I told dad, like dad, I, told dad I will not be fake. I will get up here and I will tell everybody how fake, or not how fake, how <laughs> sinful, that doesn't make sense, how, how sinful, how messed up I am in so many ways because I never want to do to you guys what my pastors did to me as a kid. And here's what they did. They acted like this up here. And then when I found out that they had messed up in their lives, it crushed me. It crushed me because my idols and my people that I thought, my popes, my pastor, my whatever, that were so big in my mind that I saw as righteous, were just as broken as me, and it ruined me. Guys, we're in this together. Paul, the guy that wrote two thirds of the New Testament, said, I'm the chief of sinners the chief, and that is what I want to model, and that's what I want you guys to model, because it brings this unity about us, right? It's real. I want to read a quote from Dietrich Bonhoeffer's, if you guys have never read that book, Life Together, it's amazing, it's about Christian community. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur, Because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are all sinners. He's basically re-emphasizing what I just said. There are so many people in the church today who they do their religious duties. They go to church. But as soon as something, so many churches, when something comes out about somebody, everyone's like, <gasps> well, guess what? When someone comes out about one of you guys, I'm like, yeah, sinner. Just like me. Let's pray through this. Thank God for his grace, amen? Listen. We take sin very seriously. I do not take it lightly. I do not want to take it lightly. But I am not shocked when I find out about people sinning. Neither should you be. But I grew up my whole life in a church where something came out about someone and everyone was like, I knew they were like that. Oh, look at them. That's what I grew up with. We will not be that church. The last one, and this one's big, the last one is family forgives. It is not by accident that when Jesus was asked by the disciples how we should pray that his per- prayer had a petition of forgiveness. He says, forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. How many families are ripped apart because of unforgiveness? How many friendships? Do you have someone in your life who you have cut off because you just don't see how you can possibly forgive them and what they did? How many leave churches because of personal offense and unforgiveness? I have seen this my whole life in ministry and it never ceases to amaze me. People that sit in the chairs and hear the gospel week after week about where they've fallen short will immediately write somebody off in their lives that sinned against them. Tell me how that makes logical sense. Tell me how that makes logical sense. We will write people off completely that have sinned against us, but realize you were cut off from God himself because of your sin. And still he didn't write you off. Still he sent himself to die on a cross because he loved you that much. I see it still in my own heart as well. When things are going well, maybe you don't notice it, but if you don't have anyone, or I'm sorry, my sentence I wrote in here didn't make any sense at all. So, just recently I was put in a situation with a group of people where I had a very unique situation where no matter what decision I made, someone was going to be mad at me. I prayed, and I made the very decision, or the best decision that I knew, and still people were mad at me. Still people ended up leaving part of my community. Now, in me, I recognized this. I immediately wanted to be like, done with you. I'm done with this person. They're wrong. I did everything I was supposed to do by the book. I prayed about it. I made the best decision I can. It was a lose-lose situation. I'm done with them. Listen, I even got in a community gathering with them, and I caught myself that I wasn't going to talk to them. I was like, Listen, my point is all of us still deal with this. All of us have offenses against people. People are going to hurt you because we're all fallen. Family's going to hurt you because we're all fallen. Friends are going to hurt you because we're all fallen. But I saw this from one of my favorite pastors, Ray Orland. He put this on his Twitter account. He says he has has new goals in life now that he's older and all the mistakes that he's made. Here's what he said. He said, He said, my goals are this, to stop losing friends. The second goal was to regain lost friends. And the third goal was to make new friends. And I thought, man, what an amazing life goal that is. What if you had a real goal to never lose a friend again? If you lost a friend, it wasn't going to be because of you. Even if they wronged you, you were going to commit to not losing that friend. That is what I believe a gospel-centered biblical family looks like. We're going to get offended at each other. I'm just going to let you know. You're going to get offended at me. What if you committed to forgiveness, to never losing a friend again? How different does that church look compared to everyone else in our country? Especially what's going on right now in our world, the, di- the divide, the political divide. We all hate the left, and we all hate the right. And we all It's disgusting. And it's not what we're called to. John 15, 15 says this, no longer do i call you servants or the servant does not the servant does not know what his master is doing but i have called you friends for all that i have heard from my father i have made known to you jesus christ who we sinned against from the beginning who we said you know what god you're pretty cool but all this other stuff's way better <laughs> who we did that to he committed to being your friend anyway That's how much he loves you. That's what we are to model our lives after. If you're looking for perfection in friendship, if you're looking for people that aren't going to hurt you, that are going to be perfect friends and fulfill you, if you're looking for spouses that are going to fulfill you, I hate to break it to you, not going to happen on this side of heaven. We need to commit to forgiveness. A family that forgives takes a gospel-centered approach to their relationships. They acknowledge that when there is conflict, the first thing they need to do is examine their own hearts thoroughly and listen So often we just want to get our points across and tell people how wrong they are because it makes us feel good about ourselves. I want you to understand that when you are in conflict with someone, this is a side point in my message, when you are in conflict with a friend, a spouse, or anything, a gospel-centered approach is this. Number one, stop, pause, where can I be wrong? Where am I possibly wrong? It is not, let me show you all the places that you're wrong and where I'm right. How often do we fight like that? Are you serious? How often do we fight like that? Thank you, Lord have mercy. It's because we all think we're better than the next person. People love to say, I'm a good person. It's my favorite quote. You'll hear me bash it all the time. I'm a good person. Do you realize when you say that statement what you're saying? You are immediately putting a whole bunch of other people as worse than you. I'm a good person is a self-righteous statement that immediately says I'm better than a whole host of other people that I know. That is not at all what you're called to say. Not as a Christian. You are not called. We're called to say this. I know this is rough. I'm the chief of sinners. And what that does is it softens your heart that maybe aren't Christians. It softens your heart because guess what? I've been chosen by God. I'm saved by Jesus Christ. They aren't yet. I understand that you don't know your right hand from your left. Jesus hung on a cross, guys. What did he say on the cross? Forgive them for they know not what they do. Is that your approach to people when they hurt you? Now, I did want to acknowledge that I know that people have been severely hurt by people in their lives. Molestation, abuse, all of that. I want to acknowledge that I'm not saying that you need to go be best friends with those people. I am not saying that, but I am saying that there's a freedom in forgiveness. Not just for that person, but for your own heart. If Jesus Christ can hang on a cross for you and for all of us who did not deserve it, for his own chosen people, the Jews, his own chosen people who he loved put him there and he can die for you, you have the power inside of you to forgive people that you didn't know you had. So band, you guys can come. When we say we are wanting to create a distinction of family, what we're really trying to create is an atmosphere like heaven where people experience love and intimate friendship like they never have before. Matthew 22, 36 through 40 says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. There is a reason that Jesus says you have to love God first. Without loving God and seeing who Jesus is, without acknowledging or recognizing his beauty or imperfection, you will not notice how imperfect you are. When you don't notice your own shortcomings and need for Christ, you will be self-righteous, harsh, unloving, irritated, annoyed, judgmental people. That's the reality. The only way we are ever going to be a loving community and love one another is learning to love God. The only way you're ever going to learn to love God is to spend time with God. You spend time with God how? How? You get in his word. You learn everything about this. You keep coming to church. You keep hearing the gospel. You get into community and learn from other people. That's how you learn more about who God is. And you'll start recognizing things. Listen, he'll start peeling you back like an onion. All of a sudden, listen, in three years from now, my goal for you is you recognize more sin in your life, not less. If you think you're a better person three years from now, I have done a terrible job. Now, I also say that I believe you will be a better person, but it's funny. It's like you almost don't recognize it. You should almost not recognize it. You're so lost in the gospel. You're so lost on him changing and transforming your life and ripping these things away that you're not thinking about whether or not I'm an awesome person or not. You just want to be closer to him. You guys stand up with me? I would say the hardest thing about creating community or Christian community is that people hurt people. That some people will come into the church looking for Jesus to solve all their life problems, but it was never really, they were never really interested in him. Are we that kind of person today? If you're coming here to just have Jesus help get your life better, you are missing the point. You know why we're here? For him. We want him alone. We learn that the only thing that's gonna satisfy us for eternity is him. Not a bigger house, not a better relationship. None of that junk matters. The only thing that matters is a connected, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Would you guys bow your heads with me? Father, we just ask, God, help us to soften our hearts. Help us to soften our hearts towards people. We know that we often don't love people like we should, Lord that we fall short in so many ways, God, that we see your son Jesus and how he walked. He'd walk up to the people and love the people that no one else wanted to, God, because he was love perfected. Lord, help us to become like that, Lord. Help us to become just like your son with people. Make us bold to be vulnerable give us power, Lord, to confess our sins to one another, that the evil things in us will be healed, Lord. We want more of you more than we want anything else, God. And all God's people say,